Next Chapter Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The 500. The 500. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man JM. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. And then you took the word right out of my do. Baba dee doo dootin doodly doo dee doo. When this first was played into my eardrums, I think I listened to it 75 times. It was incredible. It's a great song. It's called uh, Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth. It's by Meatload from his 1977 record, Bad Out of Hell. It's also number 343 out of 500. On the 500, what is up? Thank you to everybody uh, that went to JFL Escapes in Cancun. It was insane. Dude, I've had like six days of just madness. First I did Wednesday through Saturday in Cancun for Just for Laughs, which the jams were great. I opened for Jim Jeffries for like 2,000 people. And then we did a show with like Jay Farrow, Mateo. Um, man, it was crazy. I ate a lot of buffet food. I had hibachi. Uh, Avery, my best friend, uh, every time we sat down to eat, they asked, do you have any allergies? And he was like, I'm vegetarian. And they were like, that's an allergy. But the shows were incredible. We're going to be doing it again. A lot more stuff with Just for Laughs. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. Uh, Thank you to Bruce Hill. Thank you to Christine. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to Spencer. Thank you to Leanne. Thank you to everybody at Just for Laughs for including us. Because uh, I love you guys, man. I've, Just for Laughs has been such a huge part of my career. And uh, to know that we're just going to be doing more stuff together, man, it just means the world to me. And then we flew out. Well, actually, let me tell you this. I'll tell you this story. So we did, we did three nights of jams. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every night was insane. And on Saturday, we had a hard out at midnight, which is weird because we were at a resort. And we're playing the final comic. Donnell Rollins is doing Born in the USA, and it hits midnight, and we're going over, and they cut the power. And then Joel, my guitarist, just grabs the acoustic. We finish the song acoustic. Everybody starts holding up their like cell phone lights to light us. There's like 900 people on this beach stage. Right, The water's coming. Dude, it's the most magical thing you've ever seen in your life. Then a guy proposed to his, what, to his girlfriend... 
She, of course, said no, which was really fun. No, of course she said yes. And then we closed it out by doing Hey Jude Acoustic, 900 people singing it. It was so magical. And then got less than an hour of sleep, flew to Houston, and we did Skankfest. We closed out Skankfest, which is arguably one of the greatest festivals you're ever going to do. I can't stress this enough. Even though it's Legion of Skanks and it's called Skankfest, you, you, you think it's going to be this, this dirty fucking thing. It is the most beautiful experience you'll ever go to. The next time they do one around the country, uh, whether it's in Texas or New York, you have to go to Skankfest. Thank you to Christine Evans, Rebecca Trent, and Louis J. Gomez for including us. I mean, we fucking started a riot. I opened up with Duality by Slipknot, and I had Big J and Louis like banging the keg with the, with the bat. Just like Slipknot does. I have got uh, some announcements. November 15th, we're doing the goddamn Comedy Jam at the Village Underground again. You can stream it live on Mint. Go to mintcomedy.com. 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can watch it from the comfort of your own home with Shane Gillis, Big J. Okerson, Todd Barry, and Dulce Sloan. It's my birthday show. I want all of you to watch it and be a part of it. Uh, and come to the live show if you're in New York, if you can travel. It's going to be insane. So get those tickets, mintcomedy.com. November 15th, I want to see that you came. I want messages. And then on November 22nd, we're doing a live goddamn comedy jam at the Comedy Store with Bill Burr, Jay Farrow, Jeff Garland, and Hannah Einbeiner at the Comedy Store. Tickets uh, available at thecomedystore.com. It's going to sell out quick, so... And then, what else do I have? I think next month, I'm in St. Louis, Plano, Texas, and Vancouver. Or maybe Edmonton. I have to check, but I got a lot of tickets. I'll put them up on my website, joshadammyers.com. Also, follow me on social media, at Josh Adam Myers, but go to joshadammyers.com for tickets. All right, meatloaf. Meatloaf, 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 meatloaf. I don't know what to say about him because it's rare that a record comes up on this list that I just have heard and didn't know. And I also kind of like looked at it like, oh, I'm probably not going to like this. I was blown away by this record. And I mean, I probably listened to it well over a hundred times already. There's a few tracks on it that are part of my ecosystem of music from this point on. And the guests, yes, guests, not guest, guests I have on today are very close to this record. I have the one and only Scott Ian from Anthrax and Pearl Day, the daughter of Meatloaf. I mean, guys, these are two legends in their own right. I mean, Scott, it's just, I've been such a fan of him and his music uh, for a long time. We talk all about it. Uh, just so you guys know, Anthrax just hit its 40th anniversary as a band and released a commemorative bourbon to celebrate. And in May, Z2 Comics also released Anthrax Among the Living graphic novel, a series of stories inspired by the album Among the Living, written and drawn by an all-star lineup, including Brian Posehn, who just was on, Grant Morrison, Rob Zombie, and Ian himself. Speaking of which, fucking Rob Zombie, Shane did uh, Dragula at... The Jam. That was a fun one. That was one of my favorite songs we've ever done. Guys, this is a goodie. Dig it, dig it. You're going to love it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all podcasts, places, whatever. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Get tickets to all my shows like the Jam on the 15th in New York or the Jam on the 22nd or Plano, Vancouver, Edmonton, all the places I'm going to be at joshadammyers.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to my website or the website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but uh, here we go. 343 out of 500, Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. So, all right, so this is, I don't even know how to start this because we've, I don't, we've never had a husband and wife duo on the show before, yet we've never had a husband and wife duo with one of them being the daughter of the artist that we're going after. We've had the artist. We've, we had Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top break down uh, whatever that record was. Hit me. Eliminator, thank you. Uh, but also, I never had a dude on the show that I can honest to God say I changed the direction of me loving music. And it's when you rapped, Scott, with Chuck D and Bring the Noise, dude. Right on. <laughs> I don't think you get like how that changed my life at summer camp. Like, I was on the jungle gym. I'm wearing an anthrax shirt now. I was going to wear my Mr. Bungle shirt because I saw y'all. Last concert before COVID. Oh, right on. In Brooklyn? Was, no, 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 no. In, in Los Angeles. Oh, and, okay. And can I be honest with you? I had no idea you guys were going to be playing that record the whole time. I was like, when are they going to play Pink Cadillac? <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't. So, so we are here today to, so one, thank you, both you guys. I mean, it taking time out of your lives. I appreciate it. But we're here to talk about a record. And I mean this sincerely with what I'm about to say. So I've been doing this podcast for about three years. No record I have loved more for the first time. I hate to say this is the first time I've ever listened to this record from start to finish. And in the two or three weeks that I've been digging on it, I probably listened to it nearly a hundred times because I think it's it's a perfect album. So Without further ado, Scott and Pearl, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Right on, Thanks man. Thanks for having us. Yeah. How, uh, how is your, your COVID? How are you guys? Are there any projects you guys want to promote? Please feel free just to, to take this moment to do that. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Healthy. <laughs> good. Yeah. Successfully quarantined, uh, successfully vaccinated. Homeschooled, home uh, now back in person. Um, yeah. Um, out playing shows again well yeah, on, on weekends festivals and uh everyone's remained healthy uh we got one anthrax show left this year at welcome to rockville down in daytona on november 14th nice but that's sold out so um <laughs> so, it's on you if you didn't get tickets dude yeah <laughs> but, sold uh, out. It's yeah it's, i mean you know pearl's got a show coming up in silver lake in december December 23rd. And Motor Sister. We have a, a new Motor Sister yeah, album there'll coming. be a new Motor Sister record next year at some point. And maybe a new Anthrax album late next year. If, you know, we can really uh, um, think we're writing and, uh, you know, fingers crossed we'll get in the studio early next year or something like that. Dude, please. Yeah, yeah. Please. We need it. We want it. It's It's time. It's time. Dude, even Adam's wearing... He's wearing the big four shirt, dude. Oh, yeah, right at the stadium show. <laughs> um, all right, so usually this is how I start it. Usually I say, take me back to the first moment you heard of Meatloaf. 
uh, <laughs> I mean, what was your birth like? No, <laughs> no, what, no, I mean, like, so let's do you first, Scott, like, tell me, cause, cause you're, dude, you, you're, you, you know, you, in a sense with, with anthrax kind of started the thrash metal movement. Like how does someone that digs that shit get into bad out of hell? Because from my understanding, I didn't realize how big this record was until I've looked at all the numbers, but for right. you, take me there. Take me to that first moment. You heard this. Oh, me. Meatloaf comes way before thrash metal or anthrax or anything because the record came out in what 77? I 70, think. yeah, Adam, 77. Yeah. So um it's a I mean, I was already way into music. Um, most you know, rock and hard rock. I, I don't even think heavy metal was a term being used yet at that point in time. Like in 1977, I was uh, uh, Kiss was my favorite band. I was way into Cheap Trick and the Ramones and Ted Nugent and ACDC. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was definitely like a hard rock kid. And um, I'm going to say that I got into that Bad at a Hell record initially through my dad, because my dad listened to pretty good music. And um, he had it on in the car one day. He had like the eight track and had it on in the car. And I remember hearing like Bad Out of Hell and Paradise by the dashboard light and um, just being blown away, just completely blown away by the whole thing. And um, and then, of course, you know, their album at some point when the album starts to break and Paradise and like two out of three ain't bad basically become, I mean, there it's just everywhere on every radio station. And and I always just thought it for me, not really knowing so much how things work, it seemed like such a New York thing because everybody was into it. I mean, it, it Meatloaf blew up so quickly in New York, like all my friends, their parents, like, and I guess that's the point I was going to make in the beginning was this was the first time since I was a little kid, you know, when you don't really listen to your own music, you listen to whatever's on in the house. I got into Kiss. My parents didn't like Kiss. And <laughs> yeah. from that point, you know, I was into my shit. They were into their shit. Yeah. But my dad loved Meatloaf and I loved Meatloaf. And it was kind of cool that we got into something again now, like at the same time. And uh, yeah, I was, man, I, I, I love that album. I'm going to say right now, too, at the top of this thing, this is number 343 on the list. Yeah. But I have a huge problem with that. That dude. means, I, I mean, I know there's a million problems with this list, which we're not going to get into. Millions, dude. But, Millions. Right. But the, the idea that that whoever voted on this thinks that there's 342 better records than this. Now, I'm sure out of those 342 albums that are in front of this on the list, yes, maybe some of them are, are better. And I, I'm sure even maybe Meatloaf might agree with some of them. <laughs> but, but I mean, but I have a huge problem that this isn't like top 30. Yeah. Even I think I could probably argue that this should be top 30. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing record. Anyway, that's how I discovered it through my dad. And then, uh, and, uh, and then we, I had the record, I bought the vinyl and uh, we went to see him play at the Calderon concert hall on Long Island. It was like May of 1978. And uh, we saw him live on that tour as well. And it was totally mind blowing. I mean, this list, first of all, is 
complete and utter BS. This is the, I mean, we just did uh, like literally a couple hours before I recorded this, we just did Lou Reed Berlin, which is one of the most depressing records in the history of records. It's literally about the story of like a, like a meth addict and a prostitute. And it's like, that's ahead of like, let it be by the Beatles. And you're like, what? Right. So the, yeah. This is li this list is literally just a way for me to listen to albums. We 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 respect the list, but we can also disagree with it because there's right. a lot of shit that got left off. And then wait, wait till I get to the fact at the end where we check to see if this is on the 2020 list because this is the 2012 list. Oh, okay. So, right. Hopefully, it's still on there. But but the list is the list is crap. Well, maybe um, 2020 rectified the mistake and it put it way higher. Adam, you wrote this. You wrote my stuff. Do you want, do do you want me to spoil it for you right now? Or? No, no, yeah, no. Do it. no. So this is the last time. <laughs> no, we want to be. No, we want to be in a good mood. We want to be in a good yeah. mood. They're, 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 they seem happy right now. I don't even know because I'm judging by that. So, so Pearl, I mean, I, I don't even know how to get started with this. I mean, this album probably has been just in your ethos since you know early memories. I mean, tell me because I mean you've like sang and toured with with your dad you know in the 90s like what is that like being the child of somebody that created i mean i mean this record is 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 just it's not that much to say masterpiece but like you said it was everywhere it was everywhere in new york from what scott's saying so like like tell me your experiences thoughts whatever i don't even know where to go but just you lead me <laughs> um wow well i mean the first thing I'm thinking of is that um, it's true. I've been hearing this album my entire life. And the one thing that stands out to me is that it's still, every time I hear it, it still moves me. Yeah. I'm not used to it. You know what I mean? In the in sense of like, ugh, I don't need to hear that song <laughs> again or that song again. And, um, you know, I sang, I did sing with my dad and his touring band for nine years on the Batu tour um, and every single night, this is nine years of this, every single night I have to, I can honestly say that when the first note of the song Bad Out of Hell started, it was just a, like a, a, an incredible adrenaline rush. It, it's like, let's go every single time. Yeah. That, the song, is it's an it's incredible it's an it's incredibly written the love songs on that album are beyond beyond i do you know um for crying out loud yeah listen to that one that i've listened dude i've listened to this record over almost a hundred times dude this is for me this is like the first time i've ever listened to this record i hate to say that you know, I've known Meatloaf, you know, your dad from, you know, I know from Rocky Horror Picture Show, and he's the man in that. And that was like my first, oh, who's that guy? And everybody bat out of hell, bat out of hell. And then when, you know, I Can Do Anything For Love came out, I was like, yeah, this song rules. But I was like, you know, it's not really my style, but it's still this, this song that's just, it was so popular when it came out. But bat out of hell, dude, and I'm so embarrassed to say this, but that's why I'm doing this podcast. I was like, I never listened to it. I just knew about it. And then a few weeks ago, I put it on because I wanted to get ahead of what's on the list. And I probably listened to what's the second track on the record, Adam? The, um, the words right out of my mouth. Oh, my. I listened to that 40 times. I'm one of those guys that listen to a song like 
a hundred times in a row, just like you can't get it, get over it. And yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. Everything that you just said, 100%. The love songs uh, hit deep and it's like, it, it, you dream of a love that you might one day get to experience. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a better album opener so far on this podcast or a better album closer. Uh, pa you know, Paradise is incredible. Uh, the final song on the record, where is it? Um, is out loud. Yeah. I mean, yeah, dude, it's one of the most beautiful songs. You can hear the pain, you know, it's you can so hear the emotions. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking. I mean, so what is that like being on stage and seeing the audience just, I mean, they must have just gone completely bananas when, when he plays anything off of this record. Yeah, my, my dad has some pretty hardcore fans as do a lot of <laughs> artists, but um, yeah. The experience of growing up watching my dad on stage and then by the time I was 19, I joined him on stage. I had to audition, by the way. Nice. Um, which I really appreciate and I, um, yeah, I, I just love that story. But then being on stage with him and being part of the music that's being made and watching him perform those songs every night, it, it was mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, you know, songs like Heaven Can Wait. Yeah. When he would just break it down and it was him and, and just the piano player, you know, it, bring, it brings tears to your eyes every night. You know, I never, never get tired of it. You never get, never take it for granted. It, there's just some, some kind of magic about this album that, uh, I mean, it really speaks to, we were talking about it in the car today. It really speaks to the genius of Jim Steinman who wrote yeah. the songs, who, in our opinion, doesn't get enough credit for uh, being on that top tippy top list of all time great songwriters. I mean, he really he does get credit for that, but I don't know. Not, not in the, the same way, way he, he should, should, you know. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. I think these songs, these songs are pure Americana. They should be part of the great American songbook. Yeah. I mean, to me, Steinman, what he created on this record, it, it's, it's right there with you know, early Bruce Springsteen, the born to run record. And in that same way, and you know, you know, he doesn't get that same level of recognition that a Springsteen gets, but I mean, come on, when you listen to this album, uh, bad out of hell, two out of three paradise by the dashboard light. I mean, I don't know how, you know, these songs, they go down to some of the greatest songs ever written. And uh, uh, he definitely does not get 
the credit he deserves. Well, it was truly original. He wrote in the truly original way that was very specific to him, just mm -hmm. like Bruce Springsteen writes in a way that's right. specific to him. That's where the magic is, I think. Where do you guys think about that comparison? Because I, as I've been reading about this, they keep saying that this is, you know, this is a born to run. Like, how do you guys feel about that comparison? Well, it's a great album. So, you know, uh, uh, I, I can see it because there, there are a lot of similarities in that, you know, use that word again, Americana, you know, very much a lot of the, these, you know, songs about, you know, loves lost and found and cars, girls, uh, uh, a, a lot of similarities and just the, the massive kind of grandiose, like you take a song like jungle land from Springsteen. Yeah. You know, to me that and bad out of hell, similar type of, you know, similar type of thing, just these epic, epic, almost operatic, you know, uh, uh, types of arrangements. And, um, so I could I could see the compa comparisons for sure. I just think, for me, Steinman has this pop sensibility, you know, and his uh, arrangements of vocal harmonies and everything else, which I'm sure your dad had a lot to do with as well, as far as all the vocal harmonies. Um, yeah, you know, it's again, it, it's I would almost compare, you know, some of that stuff to Queen and and and. You know, Queen wasn't even that big of a band yet here, yeah. anyway, you know, when this stuff was being written because the record came out in 77. But you got to remember, they were writing it over a period of years leading up to that. So, you know, to touch on what Pearl said, it, it's a it's a complete original. It's just so different and original and incredibly epic. So then why then why do why are we because we were talking about the list, you know, why is this at three what was it Adam three three forty three three forty three and born to run is in the I think in the top 15 right. when I feel like both of these records, I mean, are you go track for track and you can sing along. They're just as good. I mean, is 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 there something like what is that thing that that Meatloaf and, and Bruce Springsteen have yet? Like you, like Bruce is, you know, he's the boss, but Meatloaf is this guy, he's a genius. Him and Jim created something that is damn near perfect. Like, why, uh, thoughts? I don't know. What do you think, Pearl? Uh, I think it's in the in the way that the press treated each of them separately. You know, Meatloaf's name is Meatloaf, and he's not a, a skinny little guy. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's not a skinny little guy, but you know, Meatloaf's doesn't look like Bruce Springsteen. Sure. And I think that, you know, it was hard for a lot of people to get past that. No, completely. I, I, I think. Which is a shame. Certainly in the seventies, as there were, there were critics, there were writers that loved the Bad Out of Hell record. But I think in the overall zeitgeist, let's say at the time, it was much more an album of the people than the press. And, uh, um, he wasn't taken seriously uh, as a songwriter or as a singer. It was like uh, one trick pony is a, it's a shtick. Oh, the yeah. big guy in the tuxedo, you know, and uh, it was, it was so much more than that, which he obviously proved by having a, a career that still goes on. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think at the time Springsteen was looked at, he was a critic's darling. It's, you know, he, with all the comparisons to let's say Dylan or yeah. whoever else, even the, older songwriters uh, uh, uh who's the guy i'm not thinking of like guys from the 30s and 40s he would get compared to and 
uh, what's I can't think of the guy's name. He wrote lots of protest songs and um, Jesus. Country Joe McDonald. I don't know why oh, that popped yeah, in my like head. Carlo Guthrie. And, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, way Woody better. Guthrie. Woody Guthrie, right? Like Woody Guthrie. You know, Springsteen's getting these kind of comparisons and and, and uh, you know taken very very seriously by the by the critics. And it was kind of the opposite, I think, for me though. Certainly by Rolling Stone magazine, who yeah. uh, definitely would, never gave him any love ever. Um, you know, still to this day, not even in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a fucking joke. Uh, so yeah, just, you know, just not taken seriously by the so-called people that matter, you know, at, at, at the time. And, uh, that's why I say it was definitely, he was a man of the people, not, not the press. Well, we obviously, I mean, if this sold 50 million copies, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure, uh, Adam, you have a fact that's up here that's saying this just like left the top. Yeah, this is selling over 50 million copies, certified platinum 14 times, spent 522 weeks on the UK album charts. That's six most in the history of that chart. The response to the United States was slow, but it got its break from executive from CBS Canada, recommended it to Warren Cosford, a program director in Toronto fell in love with it, put it in heavy rotation and American stations started to follow suit and went on to sell 14 million copies since. I mean, this is like, I mean, you, you wish artists dream of being able to make one record or, you know, or have any kind of career, just something that touches that many people and everything that you just said, like he's, you know, his name's meatloaf. He's a, he's slightly robust size, you know, that it's, it, it's still, it's like, you know, he made a record that has touched so many people. I, you know, I, I, I know you're saying the rock and roll Hall of fame and rolling stone, but both of them can go fuck themselves. I mean, Devo <laughs> is Devo isn't in the rock and roll. Hall yeah, of fame. Yeah. I, I, I mean, know. there's so many great artists and, and, and so, I mean, we're, there's so many people that are in the rock and roll Hall of fame that we're not even talking about their records. So, you know what they can, they can, I know. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all BS, dude. It's all BS. I mean, dude, exactly. also you're, you're a part of Anthrax, where I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you guys are, are, are some of the, like the originators of thrash rock. I mean, let me ask you guys a question. Like, how have you dealt with critics being in the spotlight, you know, in your lives? We, you never, we don't do anything but write for ourselves. I think that's what almost any artist, that's what they should be doing. If, yeah. if you're writing to please your audience, then, I, I don't, I don't even understand that. I don't even know how to talk about that. Yeah. We've only ever just written for ourselves. And if people connect with it, they do. And, you know, lucky for us, people all, all around the world connected with, with what we were doing and what we still do. So, but we've never worried about what anyone had to say about it. Do you, do you do, is there like a, a like a review though, that you've ever like the worst review you've ever gotten. And you guys are just like, dude, this is like flames to like, just you know, just I'm rock sure there, even harder. There must have been some er, early on. Uh, I, I'm sure. I, I mean, our last two albums, honestly, or even our last three albums, were so well reviewed that across the board, from like mainstream media to the most kind of uh, underground press. Um, it was almost like a. It was like, can we at least have one? bad one? <laughs> like, but uh, I'm not complaining about that. Yeah, right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure in the early days there must have been because not not everybody liked this this new sound that you know we were playing back then in the early '80s. So, uh, but I I don't specifically remember anything. No, 
No. Pearl, any 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 shit reviews that uh, you can <laughs> you can recollect? I don't give a shit. Yeah. Nice. Nice. You know, nice. my my dad always used to say those who cannot do review. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was really, I, I was taught from a young age, there's really no point in seeking out or looking for reading bad reviews or, you know, mean things that people say about you because it's all subjective anyway. So yeah, completely. I, that guy says, or what that chick if she didn't like it, that's fine. You don't right. have to like it. I think the, I think the best thing for an artist to ever get is, is almost no, especially as a comic. It's like when I've had bookers or networks be like, no, it's just made me work harder, dig deeper, you know, pull from more of my personal experience and, and be more like of myself on stage. And then it's like, they start calling you because it's like, oh, it's like you get all those no's eventually, you know, you're going to become undeniable where it's just like, oh no, we have to because this guy is so good. So any of the bookers, uh, and they know who they are, you're out there, thank you. Let me ask you, because you mentioned uh, you mentioned your, your dad a moment ago. What was it like growing up with Meatloaf as your dad? Um, this is a question I get a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I didn't, I, <laughs> Adam wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Adam's fault. Adam, you know, damn it. Um, but no, I, I get it. Uh, it the I always answer it honestly, which is it was normal to me. It's normal to me, you know, like, well, what's it like having a policeman as a dad? Or what's it like having a surgeon for a dad? Or, you know, my dad is, um, he's somebody who worked really hard at his job. And, and he, yeah, he had to sometimes be away a lot, but also we got to travel around the world with him a lot too, you know, and when he wasn't on tour, when he was between album cycles, he was coaching my softball team. Um, you know, he plays fantasy football when he's home. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy, he's a reg, he's a regular kind of guy who likes regular things and meat and potatoes and, you know, watching football. He loves football. Well, I mean, well, one, uh, is he good at fantasy football? Because I, my team's in the, in the shit right now. He's very he actually is. <laughs> he played on a team. You did it, that team thing I've, with him a couple times. You and Jerry Cantrell yeah. and I've been playing in the Allison Chains fantasy league for like ten years. And uh, and one year, Jerry said, "Ask your father-in-law if he wants to play." I know he he plays because meet uh, oh, sometimes we'll play in like we'll play in like twenty <laughs> leagues. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, sure, I'll ask him. So I wrote him. I said, "Hey." Uh, the guys who run the league are asking if you want to, you know, join for this season. He said, you don't want me in your league. Yeah. He was like, you sure? Yeah. And I said, why not? Oh, said, because I'm, I'm going to win. I will crush all of you. And I, I was like, well, he's brutally still. competitive, yeah. by the way, if you haven't caught on. And we were like, well, still, yeah, we want you, you know, they love to have you. We want, we want you this year. It's all done for charity. And, and, nice. uh, and uh, he's like, I'm just letting you know right now, I I'm going to win. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he did. He won. <laughs> he called it, <laughs> dude. That's like, what's that? So then, let me ask you, Scott, because you know, you're you meet Pearl. You know, obviously, you know who her dad is. What is that like? Like meeting this guy that you've that you you know you listen to. Your dad turned you on to because I know as a musician and you've played with some of the greats. You've you've met some of your the, the your heroes in a sense. So you're, you're meeting 
Meatloaf. Like, what is your first, like, because this album is so theatrical. My next question was basically like, you know, like how important is theatrics in your music, but is he anything like this record? You mean just like Hank? No, he's not like, <laughs> yeah, just, he's not running around the house, like doing big, <laughs> massive gestures and yeah, falling down not. and needing oxygen. And, and uh, no, no, he's not, not like that. I, I will say he is a, you know, he can be a very intense guy because he, you know, it's just, that's part of his makeup. You know, it's, it certainly is part of who he is as a person. Um, but uh no, I, I, I mean, I'll say I was definitely nervous. Um, I don't know that I would have been so nervous to meet him in a non I'm taking your daughter out for a date situation. Yeah. Like if I just happened to meet him somewhere, it would have been great. And but well, I would have nothing <laughs> to be nervous about. But I'm showing up, you know, I'm picking up Pearl. And because uh, you were actually, we live, I think you might have, you were kind of living part-time at their house at the time, right? Mm. So I'm like going over there to pick her up and uh, knew I he was going to be there. And yeah, I was definitely nervous. Like this, you know, bald tattooed metal dude is walking in to take your daughter out. I know how I would feel. if. Yeah. I, so um, yeah, I was definitely, definitely nervous. And, uh, and he didn't, he actually, he didn't go out of his way to make me not nervous <laughs> initially, which I totally get because even though, you know, Pearl was 25 at the time. So it's not like she's an 18 year old and we're sure, sure. or, you know, or like high school kids, but uh, still, you know, it's still his daughter and it's still kind of like, you know, where are you going? Where, you know, what's your plan? Blah, blah, blah. You know, um, yeah, it was, it was all horrible. I was like super nervous and it was giving me a stomach ache and I, I was sweating and I'm just wanting to like be cool and impress this, this lady that I have a huge crush on. Yeah. Meanwhile, I, her dad is meatloaf and I'm like a sweaty puddle, you know, <laughs> trying to be cool. It just was, it was that first meeting was, was very difficult. And, uh, you told me you kept having flashbacks to that like 1978 concert that you went to. Yeah. It was... <laughs> like sweaty guy in a tuxedo. Yeah. And I, you know, and I understand the hierarchy, you know, I'm walking into this guy's house to take his daughter out to dinner and he's the bigger, certainly the bigger rock star. There's yeah. no question, you know, the hierarchy level there. So I, I, you know, I did everything I could, to, you know, in deference to that and be respectful and cool. It's still a me walking in looking like I look, you know, it's just kind of, uh, yeah. And it, it took a few weeks. I think once he saw that we were serious, yeah. you know, I mean, we're talking, this is 21 years ago. Uh, once he saw that we were actually serious and uh, I guess the most importantly, I, I made Pearl happy yeah. and, uh, and I, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I, I didn't uh, maybe, you know, to not to judge a book by its cover, but, you know, I, I didn't act or I, I'm not maybe what how people think I'm going to be when like, like people might you say like, oh, is Meatloaf a lunatic? You know, people, of course, think I'm a crazy lunatic all the time, too. And I couldn't be more the opposite of that. So um, a few weeks in, then we became, you know, really good friends. I think once he saw that, oh, Scott's a good guy, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, but he didn't make it easy at first. And I, you know, I give him a lot of credit for that, actually. That's that's what that's what dad's got to do, man. Yes. You have yeah. to do that. You got to you got to create the image that if you fuck up, I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so and then I mean, just, but to also be getting that from from Meatloaf. I mean, that's like, yeah. And he is. I mean, <laughs> he's definitely intimidating. You know, sure. he's, a, he's a you know, and, you know, he's also a great actor. So on top of all that, he he can really turn that on and give you the look. And, you know, like he he knows what how to give that look really well. And, you know, so, um, yeah. And but I didn't get it nearly as bad as some of her high school dates and slash boyfriends at the time. That uh, Ro- uh, Pearl. Back then were. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Pearl, what's, what's, the, what's the most intimidating shit that your dad's ever done to uh, any guy that's ever picked you up? The time that he met my date at the door with a baseball bat. Nice! Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't appreciate it on that day, but I love it now. I love that he did that because he, he, he was right. This, the boy wasn't really a good guy, but he, um, yeah, no, he, he changed my curfew that night to 9 PM. I was 17. Um, and he told me to wait inside when the boy pulled up and the boy came to the door and my dad was sitting out on the porch with a baseball bat, tapping it in his hand. (laughs) and uh he looked at him and he said you get her home nine o'clock on the dot not a minute later and not a minute earlier nine on the dot and he said and if you don't i'm gonna come find you i'm gonna hunt you down and kill you like the dog you are holy shit holding his baseball bat (laughs) and then we went off to the party and the guy's checking his watch the whole time like you know uh, we pulled up back at home my dad was sitting out on the front porch waiting for us with the baseball bat and and what the boy walked me to the door and my dad didn't say a word he looked at his watch and we just went and walked inside and then the guy was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call you. He's like, I'm scared. I'm, this. I'm, I'm done. This is done. Okay. <laughs> this is done. How no. did you, how did you guys meet? Like, you know, I, did you have, is it a great story or like, was that a show? Like, how did you guys get together? Yeah, it's a great story. We met on tour in 2000. We met on the maximum rock tour. I was singing and dancing with Motley Crue. 
Nice. And uh, the tour was Motley, uh, Megadeth, and Anthrax. So we were like tour buddies. Yeah. Well, I had a huge crush on her right from the, well, not right from the start. When initially. When the, I introduced myself to him in catering on the first day, right. I went up to them because I, I, I recognized them and I was like so excited. I love Motley Crue so much and I was so excited to be there and oh, be wow. you yeah. know, part of the band. And um, so I, my first day at work, I was, wa I was walking around and introducing myself to everybody like, I'm Pearl, I'm going to be singing with Motley Crue. And, and yeah. I walked into catering and Anthrax was in there. And I said, oh, that's Anthrax. That's, I'm going to go over and say hi, you know? And I went over and I said, hey, I'm Pearl. I put my hand out to Scott. And he just kind of went like that. And he didn't say a word. I thought he hated me. I thought, I thought, well, like that guy really has a fucking problem. <laughs> well, and the story behind that was I had, I was working on a project, long story short, I was working on a DVD edit for uh, a sideband project of mine, SOD, with her ex-husband. Uh, and the thing went down over some money and I, I ended up, he claimed he was short money. I ended up getting him the money. But meanwhile, uh, I know I'm going out on tour with Pearl and I'm thinking, oh, she, Kevin probably said a whole bunch of crap about me. She, yeah. she, probably, she probably hates me. She thinks I'm Not like some kind of jerk. Yeah, meanwhile, I found out afterwards couldn't nothing. She there was nothing at all. And we we were. But I just kind of put my head down because I was like, oh god, she probably thinks I'm this like giant asshole. And uh, but then we quickly discovered a couple of days in that it was not the case at all. And uh, and yeah, and then we became drinking buddies on the tour and um, hanging out every night. And I, I had a huge crush, but you know, there's a you don't shit where you eat on tour no, of course not not it's always a bad idea so um yeah we uh we just hung out as drinking buddies and then about three or four weeks into the tour anthrax left the tour and uh i was super bummed because it was like another three four weeks and i wasn't going to get to hang out with pearl and i never got to tell her how i felt and and because i was chicken basically and uh and uh so i got home and i wrote her this like five page handwritten letter and I FedExed it out to her on the, on the tour. Well, it was and, 10 uh, pages. Cause 10 it was pa both sides. sides right? it was both, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. And then we would talk every night, like I'd be out and we'd, she'd be on the bus in the middle of nowhere somewhere, you know, driving in the middle of nowhere and three o'clock in the morning, I'd be walking home from a bar and we'd like talk every night. And, but still her, she had never said anything about the letter and I never brought it up because I figured fine we're just we'll just be bros you know with that's it I'm, I'm not gonna push you know or anything like that and then it was uh September 9th 2000 Pearl was home from the tour she got back to LA and and I said hey you want to go out there's a couple of cool bands you know playing at the uh Troubadour and uh do you want to go it was uh, uh um, high, on, high fire. on fire and uh, nebula and uh Super romantic, you know, <laughs> of Matt, Matt Pike with no shirt on and his big old belly hanging over his guitar. And uh, you want to go see High on Fire at the Troubadour? She's like, yeah, cool. And I brought my friend Kenny. And, and I showed up with my sister. Yeah. It's nice. Just, it's just friend zone. That's it. And then 
I don't know if it was actually, was it actually that night? Yeah, we went home together. Right. And we never left each other's side. That was it. (laughs) Yeah, I I found, I I said, did you, like, what about my letter? And what what did you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, like. What did I say? You said, I I kept trying to write you something back and everything. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were both, we were both out of. Coming out of bad relationships. Coming out of bad marriages. Yeah. So it wasn't something that I, it kind of smacked me in the face. I didn't know what to say. Do you still have the letters? Yeah. Dude, you should frame that, dude. Break yeah, that well, I mean, we literally, like, pretty much just like, that's it. September 9th, 2000, we've never been apart. Well, I mean, we have. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, but. We've been together since then, yeah. Have you written any more letters? You, you staying in the letter game, bro? Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. celebrate that anniversary, too. The first date anniversary, we've celebrated it for 21 years. Yeah. That's um, incredible, man. That is so badass. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, let's talk about the album. Let's get into Let's do some tracks, okay? Uh, and please just give me your thoughts on what you guys think of these songs, what it brings up, whatever. Like we, we mentioned it earlier, uh, the track Bad Out of Hell. Uh, this track is a result of Steinman's desire to write the most extreme crash song of all time. He said, there is something so thrilling to me about that operatic narrative that involves a cataclysmic event, especially one so perfectly in tune with the teenager's world and rock and roll as a car or motorcycle crash. The song's protagonist is a boy who wants to take the girl he loves out of their dead end town, but dies in the attempt. Um, So like I said, this is like one of the first times I've actually heard this record, putting it on for the first time. It immediately drew me in and uh, immediately I was just like, okay, I understand what this is gonna be. I'm ready for it. It's it's setting you up for the rest of the record. Thoughts on this, because I was blown away. Yeah, it's, I mean, what an opener, you know? I mean, it even, you know, it's, uh, dare I say, it's it's almost a a metal song, you know, it's so heavy. So some parts are straight up metal. Um, yeah, and God, that guitar solo, it's Todd Rundgren on the record, right? Who plays yeah. The guitar solo. I mean, the guitar solo is insane. Yeah, the whole theme, the the boy wanting to get the girl out of the dead end town and it, it, it ends horribly. And I mean, as a, you know, me listening to that record at, at you know, 14 years old, it was just like, uh, not that I, I lived in Queens, so maybe it wasn't so much a dead end town, but still, I understood that I identified with it so much. All I wanted to do was get out of my mom's tiny little apartment, you know, get in some kind of cool car with a girl and and drive to California, you know, like, and uh, yeah, it was just so identifiable and I connected with it so deeply. And, and, uh, and also it's just such a headbanger. It is. I mean, come on. And, and then the dynamics, you know, you're down at the bottom of a pit in the blazing sun when it breaks down and then the way it builds back up and then the high notes mm-hmm. at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, what's the show um, where they, the albums, the great albums and they isolate Todd's um, guitar, the revving oh, of the yeah, engine. Yeah. It sounds like a motorcycle revving, but it's yeah. just Todd gu- Rundgren the, on, the on a guitar. Yep. Un- incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's every time it's, it's thrilling, thrilling. It really is. How many times does he hit the note at the end? Four times. What was it? A G? Yeah. Like a high <laughs> G or something. It's just insane. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, 
Incredible song. Uh, everything you just said uh, about Todd playing the the motorcycle. He, uh, he let me see this. Rundgren himself played the sectional guitar, leading straight into the solo without a break. And in Meatloaf's in your dad's autobiography, he recalled how impressed he was at Rundgren's performance on his track. In 15 minutes, he played the lead solo and then played the harmony guitars at the beginning. I guarantee the whole thing didn't take him more than 45 minutes, and the song itself is 10 minutes long the most astounding thing I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever talked to your dad about the recording of this or like, do you have any inside, you have any inside scoops? I don't think, not that one. I mean, I've heard, I've always heard story, uh, you know, like a little bits, and, but not really, I don't feel like I have an inside mm. scoop on, right. on that aside from, it's you Max know, Weinberg on drums. It right? is Max Weinberg and Chasm Sultan on bass when he was like 19. Chasm Sultan was in Utopia with Todd Rundgren. You know what sucks is that Todd just played Gramercy Theater, which I live like a block away from here in Manhattan. And I have like the hookup there. If I would have done this research like before I knew he was coming, then I probably would have gone. I'm kind of disappointed in myself in that. But yeah, Todd that being is cool. Dude, it's a dude. I mean, this, like you said, is guitar work incredible. Something else we found, according to your dad, the song is constructed from a shot near the beginning of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, in which the viewer looks down a valley and sees the light of a city. He says, All the clients in the Bates Motel wish they would have left like a bat out of hell. It had nothing to do, believe it or not, with Springsteen, because this does get compared to Springsteen's Thunder Road. It right. had all to do with Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho. So being that they pulled this, in a sense, from, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho, like how how much are you guys pulling from other art that you guys have seen in your work? Oh, all, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Anything in particular that like from Anthrax that that you just, you know, not saying you, you lift, you, but, you know, you get a little. Yeah, I think I've written at least half a dozen songs that were based on things that Stephen King wrote. Really? Certainly in the early days, yeah. I mean, uh, so, so our whole Among the Living record, the whole the, the title track, the album cover based on Randall Flagg from The Stand. Uh, another song on that album, A Skeleton in the Closet, is based on his short story, Apt Pupil. Um, yeah, there's many and many more. I've written a number of songs based on stuff from his Dark Tower series. I'm so fascinated by that, those books of his. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's not as much, you know, in the last, say, 10 years as it was in the earlier days when I was in my 20s and I had nothing personally to really write about. Right about I had nothing yeah. to draw from within that much yet because, I, you know, when I was 21, 22, I, you know, I didn't really have that much world experience yet. So, but uh, um, yeah, a lot of Stephen King, certainly. So you're telling me maybe on the next record you're gonna have a song that's just like Tommy Knockers. No, that the Tommy Knockers. Well, you can have that one if you terrible want. Terrible book, it. but <laughs> I, I think he, Stephen King's actually said in interviews he doesn't even remember writing it because he was so high on on, on coke, coke. time in his life. It's but, his coke uh, book. <laughs> and it, and after many years later, finding out that I'm like, oh no wonder I couldn't get through that book, you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah, there was a song Breathing Lightning on our last album, again, goes into his Dark Tower universe. Um, so I I'm sure there'll be something on the next record. What about you, Pearl? Anything you're pulling from? 
like what what is what is really helping you you know when you're writing it's like is what really inspires you from the art that you've heard uh i just it's cathartic for me so things yeah. that i'm trying to figure out within myself are usually what i end you're up writing from. about and sometimes i don't even realize it until i get to the end of the lyric process and i go oh oh that's what that is it's like a pouring out of subconscious um i i I have one song called Broken White that I wrote um, uh, about a painting that I saw by an artist named Marlene Dumas. But um, I don't know, Do I, I think it, I, I, I write from, I don't know. I don't write about any books that I read or right. things like that, not in that way. That'd be so funny if you if you that'd be so funny if you pulled, you, you guys were like sitting at the kitchen table together, like like you're like, Scott, I got a whole song about the shining. You cannot <laughs> put away your shining song. This one's yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's jump into you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, you know, it, it's it's I, I don't even know how to put it into words how I feel about this song. But according to the his autobiography, your dad asked Jim Steinman to write a song that was not 15 or 20 minutes long and and Meat Loves Words, a pop song. The song is about the protagonist's first ever kiss with a girl and uses, like so many songs on the record, vivid imagery, small details to help place the listener in this situation. Um, I don't think there could ever be a better title for, for the experience of kissing somebody that you have a longing for by just that, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's just, it's just so perfect. Thoughts on this, you know, what does it make you feel? What is it, what, what does it do to you guys? This is always a huge sing-along song when it's live. People yeah. can't, you can't not clap and you can't not sing along. Um, he actually reserves like a, a good chunk of time in the middle for everyone to, to do that. Right. Um, that's just really great at running the crowd but um i mean again it's jim steinman it's jim steinman's lyrics that are, are are just so he's very visual and he 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 hits those emotions right on the head you know it's like you know that's exactly what exactly. i was thinking that's exactly how it felt you know yeah. but he says it in such a beautiful poetic and artful way you know yeah it, i I get like, I get like choked up when I think about it. Like, I'm also because I have such a connection to it from that time in my life, you know, from that age of, let's say, uh, uh, 13, 14, 15 years old. So it, it's something that affected me so deeply at that age. And, uh, you know, it, it stays with you in a good way. Yeah. I don't even, like, you know, they say like, uh, you know, trauma as a, you know, as a youth, as a kid, of course, gets in you and it stays with you forever. But this is the opposite of trauma. It's, it's just sheer joy. Like just, yeah, the way he evokes that feeling of wanting the, the longing of, of, it's amazing. He puts into yeah. words feelings. Yeah. Feelings that you, that a lot of people wouldn't know how to put into words. Yeah. He does that for you. No, yeah. completely. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. But there's not many records that I'm trying to think of another one right offhand and I can't, but this is one of those records that for real, like I, I, there was a, when Pearl was still singing with, with her dad. And I remember I went over, they were doing this thing called night at the proms over in Europe. And he's doing like, you know, 20 nights in, in arena and, 
Germany and then 20 nights at an arena in, in the Netherlands and, and uh, with a big orchestra playing with him and all that. And, uh, um, you know, he does these songs and, and I'd be out there just singing along, tears running down my face, just like, just incredible. Well, it, it go. it's, we haven't mentioned really, we mentioned, of course, Jim Steinman and, and you know, the genius of his writing, but it's, it really also uh, needs to be shared by the fact that my, that my dad is an incredible vocalist. Yeah. yeah. His delivery. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I was about to say. Know, yeah. Doesn't sound like anybody else, no. you know, and when he sings, he puts his guts and his soul and everything into every word. He becomes that song and it, absolutely translates like it's just a primal scream what you just said i think is the perfect thing to talk about heaven can wait because he's going through this this you know he's doing the soft falsetto and then he's doing his baritone and he's just he, when he brings it down i mean he brings it down and you can hear the the like we keep using the word longing but it's like this love it's like you really feel like he's singing to this woman that's right in front of him and trying to tell her like that heaven can wait and it's it's just the you feel the emotional weight of yeah it. it's so real he's crying yeah. when, while he's singing you know maybe not literally but literally yeah yeah his ability to to sense. to deliver and to really to uh, to make you feel it i mean you just you don't have a choice no it's don't. like you know it's like you know, watching uh, watching a love story unfold before your eyes, but you're listening to it, and the fact that they're able to meet and you know, and Jim, they're able to make you feel so much just sonically because the scope, the imagination of it is so big and so strong, and so it's so vivid uh, that you don't even need the picture because they're they're painting it for you. Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah, so so. From that, then we're going into another rock song, all revved up with no place to go. Uh, I mean, once again, phenomenal. You got to give it up to Edgar Winner, who plays saxophone on the song. He's incredible. And this this is another song describing the beginning of a relationship between a high school couple and the sexual frustration that comes along with the horniness of being a teenager. Uh, the track details the different ways the main subject would like to relive those frustrations, relieve those, no, it was a relive the horniness a teenager relieve those frustrations i mean I, what, what i and i don't know if either one of you guys know like how like i mean they're writing these songs about teenagers how old was your is your dad and jim when they're making this record uh, adam do you know this is this is an adam moment i don't have this in two seconds like just just the idea that that they're writing these songs about teenaged angst and and it's like they're nailing it. So it's like the early, late twenties, early thirties when they're really yeah, late twenties, probably when they were writing it. Cause if you figure it came out in 77. So, yeah. So when they were writing it, that, that period before that, you know, or at least a, you know, a year or two. So yeah, late twenties. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast so Scott, what is this like, you know, like you said, 13, 14 years old, hearing these songs or hearing all revved up with no place to go about being horny and stuff. And of course, I mean, you're a dude at 14. That's, we're all like, all could chunk it out. So, I mean, like, what, what is this doing to you? What do you think about it? Thoughts? What are your experiences? Yeah. I mean, that song, uh, it was never so much uh, that actual message for me. It was just more, it was such a kind of up-tempo kick-ass rocker yeah um that i don't think i was looking too deeply initially like when i was listening to it it was probably years later when i actually realized what they were actually talking about in the lyrics maybe i wasn't looking for it obviously we'll get to paradise that was a little bit more obvious yeah uh, what they were talking about to me anyway but with yeah all revved up and no place to go for me it was just like uh you know I don't know, just wanted to go out and rage. That's what like me and my friends, that's how we, we took it as just like go out and rage and party and bang your head and drinking beer and, you know, just having a good time. And uh, um, that, that's, that's what we got from it. You, you know, what's you know, it's really funny reminds message at all, but that's, I know, that's but you what know what we got out of it. <laughs> what it reminds me of is like, I mean, my dad was really into Mel Brooks films and showing to me like, you know, young Frankenstein and history of the world when I was a kid. And it's like, I just thought it was funny then, but then it's like the older you get, you're like, oh, you get all of these jokes. So maybe just at the time, yeah, it's like you on the surface, it's just a rock song, but there's like so much going on in this, you know, and then you get to two out of three ain't bad, a beautiful I mean, power you, ballad. I mean, you, the lyrics, like I was a varsity tackle with a hell of a block when I played my guitar, I made the canyons rock. I mean, that's just, come on, windmill yeah. guitar chords. You know, I had long hair back then, so just, you know, I mean that that's that's what it was for me. And the end of the song when it when it revs really up and it gets faster. Oh yeah, it's, it's just like it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's just teenage bravado, man. It's like we don't even realize we're doing it while we're doing it, and then we can look back and be like, oh no, that's perfect. Uh, all right, two out of three ain't bad. A beautiful power ballad uh, sung from the perspective of someone breaking up with their significant other, trying to explain to them why the relationship is going nowhere and is at this point loveless. It also highlights the importance of love and relationships as opposed to just sexual desire. Um, this was released in a single in the UK. It reached number 11 and was Meatloaf's second highest charting hit in the U.S. behind I'd Do Anything for Love, but I wouldn't do that. Thoughts on this? Because I've got Todd Rudkin identifies how the song was influenced by the Eagles, which I definitely hear, who were very successful at the time. Also highlights the underlying humor in the lyrics, citing the line, there ain't no Coupe de Ville hiding at the bottom of a Cracker Jack box. Yeah, that was like, that was something that was like, 
I mean, as I was listening to this, I was like, oh, did he have like a like a like a deal with Cracker Jacks? Like <laughs> that would have been really good, like product placement. Uh, thoughts on this? Because uh, I think it's I think it's incredible. Yeah, Amazing. It's a beautiful song. I can't tell you how many people have told me or my mom or my dad. Two out of three ain't bad. I love your song. Two out of three ain't bad. That was our wedding song. <laughs> And it's so, yeah, people don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Really? (laughs) Did you listen to the words? (laughs) Okay. How's it going for you? Um, (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm, uh, what do you say about, I mean, it's another great, great, great song. It's just an amazingly uh, funny, dark, epic, ballad just but, and that's another thing about yeah. Jim Steinman's writing is that it, it there's a humor in it you know there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in there and right? this twist of a phrase um the title itself I want you I need you but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you you know don't uh-huh. be sad two out of three ain't, two bad. Out of three ain't bad you know yeah. it's you know I, on paper if I'm reading that let's say I don't know this record I've never heard it and I read that line, I'd be like, I, I might actually think like, that's the lyric, really? I mean, that's it's funny. Like, how does that? But then you hear it in context. It's like it's fucking genius. It really is. It really, really is. Ah, uh, and speaking of genius, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. What I love about this is that it's it's like divided into these three different sections. And what we have is part one is paradise, part two is baseball broadcast, and part three, praying for the end of time. I mean, it's it reminds me of like a day in the life by the Beatles, you know, where it's like you've got three separate songs that all are equally they all equally rule. I mean, this this was one that I kept seeing pop up. Uh, I do this show called The Goddamn Comedy Jam where comics do stand up, then they tell a story about a song and then they sing that song with a live band. And we've done it, you know, it was a Comedy Central show and we've done, played all over the the world with the show. And uh, I remember a, a guy, this guy, Dan St. Germain wanted to do this as one of the songs. And uh, And I, because, and I feel bad because as I didn't know this one, I was like, isn't there another meat love song? So he ended up doing I'll Do Anything for Love, which was great. And it crushed. But now looking back on this song after listening to it, I was like, dude, this would have ruled if we would have done it, man. <laughs> this would have ruled. Um, this is the third single released off the record. The last single released in the States and charted as high as number 39 on the U.S. Billboard 100, which is interesting because this is a long song, right? This is, you know... Like close to nine minutes, right? Or yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, thought. I mean, thoughts on this. What do you guys, you know, love? Like, what do you guys think about the baseball play-by-play suddenly in the middle of the song? Excellent. Me as a Phil life, Rizzuto. yeah, I'm a lifelong Yankee fan. So the first time I ever heard it, and then it gets to the middle section with Phil Rizzuto, uh, uh, I, I was just like, oh my, why? Oh my God! Like how? Like. Like, again, I didn't understand how things work. How do you make songs? How do you record songs? Uh, you know, it was just insane to me that the guy I would listen to calling the Yankee games on the radio uh, almost every night is now on this rock song I'm hearing on the radio. <laughs> and then, of course, when I realized what they're talking about, first base, second base, all that, um, I was like, how did they get Phil Rizzuto to do that? That's incredible, like un- unbelievable. And 
Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I just think this is one of the most iconic rock songs of all time. It's instantly recognizable from the, the first guitar lick. Um, some of the best lyrics ever written. Um, it's like you never get, never get tired of hearing it. Uh, um, it's just, I wish, I wish someone would make a TV show or a movie out of it, but it would never be as good as the song. That's the no, I, I mean, but, uh, it's just so, it's so cinematic. It's just, it's, uh, I, I can't, it's just incredible. It's incredible. And the fact that it works that they, they meet and Jim were able to take this, this monster of a thing. Yeah. And, and it works again on paper. What the, how's that going to work? You're going to yeah. go from this thing and it into full risotto and then what? And then <laughs> they hate each other at the end. It's not even a happy end. What? How does that work? And it's one of the best songs ever written. Well, just thank God they didn't get Harry Carey from the from the Cubs. You know, I that would have been, been a lot worse. He's like, well, it's cold and lonely in the, in the deep dark night. <laughs> Did you say it was um, number 39? Uh, it charted it, 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 so in the this is the last single release in the states and charted as high as number 39 on the US Billboard Hot 100. It's so weird to me that it was only 39 because I can't, I can't, my whole life, I can't think of like one prom that I went to or one wedding that I've ever been to or a bar or uh, any place where there is a big congregation of humans and music playing that this song doesn't come on yeah. and people just you know bust into this duet you know it's kind of it's like it's like almost like hotel california in that way where it's yeah. just everywhere all over the world everybody knows it you know yeah Third, well nine seems you know it, in not, but in belgium and the netherlands uh it peaked at number one so i mean once again Europe gets her. There's something about America where we just, we, I mean, we appreciate stuff, but like, you know, you go, like I always say, like I went to, I spent a whole summer working for uh, radio one in the UK. And it was like, you went into like a record store there and they're promoting like the rack and tours and like, like rock bands. And then you come back to the States and it's like just Gnarls Barkley crazy at the time. Right. You know, it's like, we, there's, there's much more, I think of an appreciation for, the actual song and the structure of music when you get over to Europe. I don't, I don't know why. The thing is that one of the main differences too with Europe is um, take Meatloaf case in point, his career uh, blows up on the first album. And, uh, but then in the States, you know, it kind of wanes between the end of the bat out of hell cycle until bat two, you know, yeah. almost what 15 years later. But meanwhile, yeah. there's how many records between Bat One and Bat Two that were massive in Europe? You Dead know, and... yeah, yeah, all these records that were massive in Europe, and he was a full-blown, genuine arena act all of those years. You know, in between, um, whereas in, in the states, it's like he couldn't get arrested until yeah. Bat Two came, and then he had the big hit again. But that's why, even still, like if. He goes to Europe, the UK, UK in London. He could sell on multiple nights at the O2 Arena. If he goes to Australia, he could play stadiums. You know, you know, it's just once he got into people's psyches there, you know, uh, on that first record, it never goes away. He's just that's it. You reach legend status and you and stay, a legend. At, yeah. stay at that level. It speaks to the fans. They're very loyal. 
yeah. very loyal fan culture. Also because I think it's because they're not, you know, uh, most artists aren't going over there a lot. They might get once a year, once every couple years. So when they, so when they come, it's like, we have to go. It's like, we're, we might never come back to Belgium, you know? So people are, they're diehard. I mean, don't you experience that with anthrax when you go like, you Everybody know, it's like, we've been going to Europe constantly for since 1980. Six. So where's the? They never have to worry. We're not coming back. (laughs) Where's the? Where's the? What country would you say is just like? I'm not gonna say shocked that you have the most diehard fans, but what country would you say other than the states? Anthrax is like on that legend status. Uh, South America is the best for metal. Always, always South America. (laughs) South America rules, man. I would say the the two best places are are Chile and Argentina. It's always kind of neck and neck. Um, generally for us, Chile, for some reason, we have a connection there. Uh, you know, they're all great. I mean, it's not like, uh, that doesn't mean Brazil is not great. Brazil is amazing too. And Peru is amazing. And Uruguay is amazing. And you get into Central America, Mexico, all from, from Mexico down to the, the bottom, it's all insane. There's just something about, uh, Chile that is just, I don't know what makes it so a little bit extra special. We also yeah. have a great connection in, for us uh, in Glasgow, in Scotland. Um, the fans there, we've always just since the early days, since the first time we ever played Scotland in 86, uh, Scottish fans has just really took to us. I mean, we did a live record a couple of years ago. We called it, we recorded it and filmed it in Glasgow. We called it Kings of Kings in Scotland. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say those two places for me, if I, you know, I had a pick. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, all right. Final track on the record for crying out loud. I think this is a perfect way to end the record. It breaks my heart. I love this song. Uh, it references many other previous songs in the album. Uh, your dad proclaimed his love for somebody who was there for him despite everything. It was originally written for the 1975 New York Shakespeare Festival musical Kid Champion and a recording by an unknown artist in the New York Public Library archives. Jim Steinman considers the line, and can't you see my faded Levi's bursting apart, his most daring lyric on the entire record. Um, Your dad also went 25 years without performing this song live, but decided in 2004 to do it. He said he felt nervous about doing it, then thought, what the hell? I can't believe you won't play this. This is like, did you ever talk to him about that? You ever ask like that? Why aren't you playing for crying out loud? Um, I kind of feel like I, I, I remember that. I, I, I think I was still with him when, I think so. That night when he performed it. Yeah. And people went nuts. Like people were crying, you know, people were like, is they nobody had heard him do it live in so long. And it, this, I don't know. I always think this song is maybe the most perfect love song. It's so heart wrenching. Yeah. It really is. And it's true that line, can't you see my faded Levi's bursting apart? But, and it's funny, but it's also like real, you know, I'm tearing, you're tearing the, you know, yeah. you're tearing me apart, like James Dean, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, all, the lyrics in for, for uh, what are the lyrics, for giving me a child when my body was old, uh, 
you know, it's just every single line yeah. is like a oh, right to the heart. It's just relentlessly heartbreaking and gorgeous song. It's I, I, beautiful. I don't think you could end the album any other way. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if this record it sells 50 million copies if it doesn't have this song as the final song because it's like it's just the bow that's on it it's like we've been through so many different styles of music he sang from so many different perspectives and then to end it with this i mean this is as good a love song as as anyone that i've so far heard on this list um i mean it's like i said it's perfect it's i mean dude if i saw your dad perform this live the second I heard the first note, I'd start crying. But I cry a lot, though. So, um, you, me too. Uh, all right, ran a couple random facts. Uh, all right, so we asked that question at the beginning. Uh, did this make the cut? It did not make the cut of the 2020 list. But this 2020 list is not good. I'm telling you guys right now, Who it is not good list. list. It is not good. Uh, but I think this album 100% deserves to be on there. Um, he also released two sequels uh, to this, Battle to Hell 2 and Battle to Hell 3. Uh, we talked about the comparisons to Springsteen. Um, Milov was an understudy to John Belushi in the touring National Lampoon show Lemmings. Did you guys? I mean, obviously. Uh, how funny is your dad? Like... Dad's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And actually, John John was uh, one of dad's closest and best friends. Um, he used to come when I was a little girl. He used to come over a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, they loved each other. They were they were best buddies. Yeah. She, she plays it down. She used to hang out and like watch movies with John Belushi. <laughs> really? Yeah. He came over. He came over one time and uh, I was little, so I remember him being really tall and he came in the front door and he was like, hey, Pearl, like that. And he did that thing, you know, like Spanky from the Little Rascals. He would push up his bicep and go, look at my muscles, look at my, I just have this vivid memory of him doing that. And then I asked him if he wanted to watch a movie with me and he said yes. And I got out my favorite, favorite movie at the time, VHS tapes. It was on two VHS tapes. And he sat and watched both tapes of the Blues Brothers with me and didn't tell me it was him. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, this, this is a great movie, Pearl. Good choice. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, isn't it great? It's really funny. Um, yeah, and he was just a, a great guy. That's great. That's it. That's it. And then he was like, "You guys want to? I got. How about we watch another movie? Maybe, maybe Animal House. I don't know if you're if you're into it, um, dude. That's great. All right. So I ask these questions. One of them, I don't know if I can ask Adam because it's all right. Sorry. Right. So first question is favorite track on the record. What are both yours? Oh, so hard. Got to pick mean, one. I, I did say before, have to pick one. Yeah. Well, then I think I already said it. I have Bad Out of Hell, I guess, the title track. But <sighs> what do you I guys got? I want to say Bad Out of Hell, but two out of three ain't bad. It's... Two out of three ain't bad. God. Heaven damn. can wait. Took the words. <laughs> I'm I'm going. That's tough. I'm going to go two out of three ain't bad. Okay. 
Now I asked, I asked these next two. I can't ask the third one, but the second one is what, what is your least favorite track on the record? Like, so, but being that this is a perfect record, which one would you be like, all right, I gotta, I might just skip to get to this next one. Is there anything off here you would skip? Uh, let me, hold on. Let me see the track, the order again. I mean, I wouldn't (laughs) skip anything. Um, but maybe for time you'd skip like a long one. I guess I, 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 so just looking at the sequence, and probably as a kid, I probably did this. I probably skipped heaven can wait to get to all road done. Okay. Pearl, you already answered it. I, I can't, I can't ask the next one, but I would tell, I'm going to tell you what the question is because it's just the last the third question is what song on this record would you fuck to? That's what I ask, but <laughs> this is also the first time we've had a couple on the yeah, show. Yeah, We've had a couple. And then also one of them being, you know, yeah, yeah. I could say that's never happened. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't generally choose to listen to my. Uh, I wouldn't. No, I, I don't think that you would. <laughs> but I have to do it. I think we got the laugh anyway. That's all that matters. Uh, and then the last question, and I do have one follow one I want to ask you, Scott. But actually, I'm going to ask that now before I get to it. Did you have any idea that you were changing music when you did uh, Bring the Noise? Um. Well, no, no, we we didn't know what would happen after, you know, we just, um, for us, it was just, there was a very big kind of mutual admiration society between us and, and Chuck D and, and public enemy. And, uh, um, we just knew we wanted to do something together. And, you know, he had already name checked anthrax in that song. And then I had the idea on our end to do an arrangement anthrax style and then have Chuck and Flav be on it. But again, we were just doing it for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we were, knew we were going to put it out, but it was just ourselves. I wanted to hear Chuck's voice on a track with my guitar. I thought the idea of my guitar tone and Chuck's voice together was the heaviest thing I could imagine. And, uh, and I just wanted, to, I wanted that to happen. And that was like the extent of it. And then I did it. Whatever happened after that, you know, that's completely out of our control or what's going to happen but the fact that many people were influenced by it certainly that because i mean i've had people tell me in bands like rage against the machine or lincoln park that specifically some of the lincoln park dudes were at the anthrax public enemy show at irvine meadows in california in 91 and like walked out of that show saying what we did together at the end of the night where we would do bring the noise together they were like that's what we want to do that's the kind of band we want to make. Yeah. And that just does that, put the two together, you know? And, um, but you know, when we did it, no, we had no clue. I mean, I mean, but it's like, you're bringing together, like, you know, like it's because I know that there had been rap and rock in a sense and like small, like people like say, well, Blondie or whatever it is, but it's like you honestly, you know, Anthrax at the time, one of the biggest thrash metal bands, you know, public enemy, one of the biggest hip hop artists, and I mean, for me, it was like, I was just in shock that you could fucking kill it as a rapper, dude. I mean, you killed it. I, I still, it's hard for me to listen to myself on that, even though I've had Chuck tell me numerous times how, how great of a job I did and how hard, hard it is. And I'm like, it's, it, it wasn't something that I find actually physically difficult to do. I think I do a really good job with the phrasing and all that. It's just the sound of my voice. 
and and it's my voice because you know how it is most yeah. people hate the sound of Nobody their own voice their yeah. Own yeah so and and then on top of that it's next to chuck d's voice <laughs> <laughs> the fucking heaviest the best rapper of all time yeah in my opinion the the heaviest the best sounding voice ever recorded and then there's my jewish voice from queen <laughs> yeah, that's so great that's so great i i i can't thank you guys enough for coming on last question um do you think this deserves to be on the 500 greatest albums list and why absolutely yeah of course yes of course you know, i think you know you said it. it it's a perfect album there's every song is fantastic every song is you there's know never been another album like it yeah before, no and there never will be another one like and, it and you know, it's hugely influential on people uh uh an artist axel rose you know there's so many out there who you know, have credited that you know, this as being such a huge influence. Axel told my them. dad that he would listen. He listened to Bad Out of Hell before he would go on stage. Yeah. On his treadmill. I feel like you can hear a lot of this record in Use Your Illusions. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not so much Appetite, but really after hearing you say that, it's like yeah, yeah. Estranged, November Rain, yes. uh, Don't yeah, Cry. Drama, the key, the piano. Yes. The, yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I I couldn't agree with you guys more. I and I and I hated to have to say that that the two twenty list. Like I said, these lists lists don't mean shit. The two twenty list they they focus more on a lot of the younger music. Like there's, I mean, I think there's like five Drake albums on there. Um, well, come on. I mean, that's got that's one through five right there, right? And then <laughs> and then maybe you got to throw in a Kanye record, right? To please yeah. his fans, you know. But there's the but there's, magazines, I guess. Well, that but that's the thing is that is that Rolling Stone for that 220 list is is playing to an audience that they don't have, right? And you know, it came out really in a time, you know, it came out in, in June, well, no, not June, September of 2020, right after a summer of like you know, of just it's you know, racial uh uprising and just the world changing. And it was like, I understand why they did it, why they changed the list the way that they did. Uh-huh. Um, and the 2012 list and the ones previous were written a lot of it by old white guys. And so it was kind right. of, you're trying to find that balance, but like Sergeant Pepper went from number one to number like 26. On the, and you're like- on the more recent one, wow. Yeah, and you're like, listen, I get what you're doing, but you're, that's, I mean, you can't, this went from being one of the big, the best records or you're considered the best record of all time. And now it's all the way deeper in there. I get that. But uh, I 100% think this record deserves to be on the 500 greatest albums list. I'm not saying this because I'm talking to the two of you. Um, you can check my tweets a few, I guess it was like a month or so ago when I first started listening to this. I wrote, this might be my favorite album that I've done so far on this list, on this podcast in three years, because I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting to, to tear up during it. I wasn't expecting right. to be moved so much. I had no, like I said, I knew your dad from Fight Club. I knew your dad from Rocky Horror. Um, I knew he was respected, but I, and I knew this album was important, but I didn't get it. I get it. I love it. This is a record I will listen to uh, for the rest of my life. And uh, and I, I can't thank him enough for and and Jim for making and Todd got to give it up yeah, to Todd, Todd for for putting their heart and soul into this and you don't you know regardless of the accolades and the and the, the you know the the Hall of Fames or the list or whatever your dad has something that for the rest of his life I mean 
can be so proud of that it's like it's one of the most beautiful albums I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on, man. This was this was really cool. Right. Thanks for having. Thanks us. for yeah. having us. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Scotty Ian and Pearl a day. Follow Scott on Instagram at Scott Ian Anthrax and Pearl at Pearl California Country and on Twitter at Scott underscore Ian and for Pearl it's at Pearl a day. For all things Scott go to his website scottianstore.com and check out the band Motor Sister with their debut album Ride out now uh, and don't forget guys get that 40th anniversary Anthrax bourbon and check out Anthrax Among the Living on Z2 Comics it's worth it Dead. Fucking dead. For listener shout out, I want to give a shout out to at Tree Diseaser, T R E E D I S E A S E R on Instagram. I fucking love you, Tree Diseaser. You're my new best friend. Now uh, for new music, who do we got? The Zimbabwe-born and London-based pop singer, ooh, Rationale. Rationale has been working behind the scenes for years, putting uh, tracks together for bigger artists like Bastille, and he's finally about to blow up on his own. You're listening to One by One of his EP, High Hopes. Find all the stuff at the500podcast.com. And if you want your music played on our podcast, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week, it's Depeche Mode, uh, Violator. There's a lot of goodies on there. Listen to the record. And since we fell, I've been permanently wavy. Oh my God, I can't believe it. You have grounds and every reason to let go. Now I'm on my own. One by one, on my own. Chip another run for you, baby, because I know I done wrong. Now you're gone. Every single time you forgave me, you said,
It is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Next Chapter Podcasts.